A scathing report from the Justice Department illustrates the failures of the Uvalde Police Department. I'm Christina Quinn, and this is The Seven from The Washington Post. It's Friday, January 19th. Let's get you caught up with today's seven stories. Number one, Congress passed a bill to prevent a costly government shutdown this weekend. Both the Senate and the House approved the legislation yesterday. It will fund the federal government until March. It now goes to President Biden to sign. If he does that, which is expected, it will mean that roughly 20% of the government will not shut down just after midnight tonight. But this doesn't mean that all our shutdown problems are over. Lawmakers are still struggling to agree on long-term government funding plans. Yesterday's stopgap bill is just designed to give them more time to negotiate. And if they can't find a way forward soon, we'll be back on shutdown watch ahead of the new deadlines. Those are March 1st and March 8th. A report from the Justice Department criticized the faulty police response to the Uvalde shooting. That's number two. In 2022, an 18-year-old gunman killed 19 students and two teachers at Robb Elementary School in Texas. Yesterday at a news conference, Attorney General Merrick Garland said that lives would have been saved if standard active shooter practices had been followed in the shooting. The law enforcement response at Robb Elementary School on May 24, 2022, and in the hours and days after, was a failure that should not have happened. The federal report released yesterday is the fullest, most detailed account of one of the worst school shootings in the nation's history. It criticized authorities for their shifting accounts about what happened. The report is not expected to lead to charges, but is designed to shape guidance for future shootings. Yesterday, family members of Uvalde shooting victims gathered for a press conference and shared emotional responses about the report. Here's Brett Cross, the uncle and guardian of 10-year-old Uzia Garcia, who died in the shooting. It's hard enough waking up every day and continuing to, to walk out on these streets and walk to an H-E-B or drive to an H-E-B and see a cop that you know was standing there while our babies were murdered and bleeding out. It's hard enough that. But this community doesn't care, and I hope that this, I hope this makes y'all. Number three, Donald Trump urged the Supreme Court to keep his name on primary ballots across the country. His argument was part of a legal paper filed yesterday. The former president warned that there would be chaos and bedlam if the justices don't reverse a decision by Colorado's top court. Trump was disqualified from Colorado's primary ballot last month over his role in the January 6, 2021 attack. Trump's attorney asked the justices to put an end to efforts in more than 30 states to remove him from ballots. The Supreme Court has scheduled a hearing in this case for February 8th. That timetable ensures the justices will play a major role in shaping this year's presidential election. At number four, Houthi militants are continuing to attack commercial ships in the Red Sea. The Iran-backed fighters from Yemen have upended one of the world's most important shipping lanes since November— They've been attacking ships there in protest of Israel's military campaign in Gaza. Late last night, they attempted to strike a tanker ship in the third such attack on commercial shipping in three days. The attack followed another round of U.S. strikes targeting the Houthis in Yemen. 
At the White House yesterday, President Biden said that the U.S. strikes on Houthi targets in Yemen were not working, but he said they would continue. Number five. The federal government is toughening limits on soot, one of the nation's deadliest air pollutants. Soot is made up of tiny particles that come from power plants, cars, trucks, and other sources. It can get into your lungs and bloodstream, causing health problems like asthma and heart disease. The EPA is expected to lower limits for how much soot can be in the air as soon as next week. The agency says the new rule would prevent up to 4,200 premature deaths a year. But industry groups aren't happy about the expected limits. They argue that it would destroy factory jobs and investments in the Midwest and elsewhere. And it could harm President Biden's re-election chances this year. At number six, Panera Bread is facing another lawsuit over its charged lemonade. Lauren Skerritt was a healthy, athletic 27-year-old when she drank two and a half of the lemonades from Panera. The drinks have four times the caffeine of a cup of coffee. Just a few hours later, she says she started having heart palpitations and ended up in critical care. She now suffers from lasting heart problems, which she says have derailed her life. This is the third lawsuit against the chain over its charged lemonade. Two other families have alleged their loved ones died after drinking the lemonade. The lawsuits allege that Panera is selling an unreasonably dangerous product and not adequately warning consumers of its high caffeine content. Panera has disputed the previous lawsuits and is still selling the drink. At number seven, the world's oldest dog may not have been so old after all. Bobby was a good boy from Portugal. He was celebrated as the oldest dog to have ever lived when he died last year. He was said to have been 31 years old, which is about 200 in human years. His achievement led to obituaries eulogizing his life full of frolicking on the farm and articles about how dog owners could help their pets also live for decades. But Bobby's record is now being questioned. Guinness World Records announced this week that it launched a formal review of his title after veterinarians and reporters raised doubts about his age. It also said it was pausing applications for oldest living dog and oldest dog ever records. So he may not have been a record breaker, But we still love you, Bobby. Rest in peace. That's the show for this week. And if you're looking for something to watch this weekend, Ava DuVernay's new film, Origin, is out in theaters today. The movie is an adaptation of the nonfiction book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which explores the cultural history of racism in the U.S., Post Reports has an episode about this new film and how DuVernay was able to bring her vision from the book to the screen. You can find a link to that in our show notes. The assistant producer of The Seven is Taylor White. The staff writers are Jamie Ross and Hannah Jewell. John Taylor is our editor. Additional editing by me, Christina Quinn. Copy editing by Melissa No and Francis Moody. Mixing and sound design is by Jim Briggs and Justin Garish. Our theme music is by Edith Mudge. Our director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Christina Quinn. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. I'll meet you back here on Monday.